Hey, welcome to Your Voice Matters podcast. This fourth season is entitled Voices for Change. In this regard, I will interview different industry experts, business leaders and change makers. My guests use their voice and expertise to make the world a better place. Many of my guests were at some point my clients, others not, but all of them have an important message to share with the world. Today I have with me Francisca Magano. She graduated in psychology and has a master's degree in psychology of justice and deviant behavior. She collaborated in several ONGs in the past decade, managing and delivering education projects in seven countries, such as Uganda, Kenya, Rwanda, Zambia, Malawi, and South Africa. Today, she is the director of the advocacy at UNICEF Portugal, where she works with central government and local administration, making children's voices and priorities heard at the highest levels. Welcome, Francisca. It's really wonderful to have you here. Thank you for inviting me to, to speak about UNICEF and uh, what we do for children. Francisca, how was your journey as a professional and what made you want to work at UNICEF? As you mentioned, I, I studied psychology and in fact, I never, uh, I never thought of anything else. I always dreamed of um, studying psychology and that's what I did. And I always had at the same time the dream of working for UNICEF in particular. In the studies of psychology, um, children and adolescent was uh, always something that um, was really of interest. So I always thought that UNICEF was that dream organization where you can every day work for children and with children to save their lives and to actually defend their rights. So that's when um, after moving to London and after spending a few years there, I thought was uh, in fact the right time to come to Portugal. And um, I was very lucky that UNICEF Portugal was looking for someone for that advocacy department. And that's when I applied for that job and, uh, and got it. How was that experience in London and how that prepared you for what you are doing now at UNICEF? Well, so as part of my master's, I study, I work in particular, and there was a, a specific subject of my studies was uh, around justice, was around uh, juvenile gangs and drug use and abuse, young offenders. And I, so throughout uh, different experiences, I met an organization that was working in, in West London with actually uh, children and young people that uh, were in contact with, with criminal justice. So I decided to move there and to, to have all these different experiences. I actually was able to work with this organization, but then found the actually interesting world of international cooperation. And that's when I started working for an international NGO that had those projects in sub-Saharan Africa, So I started there just um, to support the project. And then, in fact, I was, uh, at the end of it, managing the education programs. So from juvenile gangs, I all of a sudden, this all came up and uh, I was actually working more on uh, quality education in Africa. In fact, when I found that... Um, I was actually really, really interested. And, and again, because I always had that dream of working for UNICEF, I found that really interesting and inspiring and moving what we can together 
with those local organizations in rural areas in Uganda and South Africa in Lesotho, uh, mm-hmm. what we could do for those children mm-hmm. that uh, without some of these organizations would not have anything in their lives or could not be able to attend school. And um, I think that was when I, I really understood that I wanted to continue working for that and uh, continue mm-hmm. showing the world the injustice that um, an inequality that, that we have, but also what we can do with our hands, with our partners, to ensure that every child can actually reach their full potential and have an opportunity. And that opportunity has to start in school. If they're not able to have those opportunities at home, then the school has to provide it. So it really changed, in fact, everything that was um, that was a thought about the world and what I wanted to do. And I believe that what then helped me to get the job at UNICEF and still after more than seven years, uh, still be with UNICEF and still defending and uh, believing every day that um, that we can't give up, that we have to continue ensuring mm-hmm. that children can have their rights defended. Of course, and uh, I understand that working in smaller ONGs gave you a vision of what children really need in their context, in their environment, but also working at UNICEF gives you access to the government and policies and to design in a highest level how the children will live or how will be the future. So that also gave you more way of you know, making an impact in the world because you are dealing with uh, with this uh, these policies and how we think about children and how we we protect them. So I think we all know what UNICEF is, but can you give us an insight view? What is exactly the mission of UNICEF? Where are the main areas where you focus your your energy and attention? Sure, but uh, just a comment on, on what you were saying that is really, really important. Uh, by working with small organizations, you are able to actually go to the family's home. And then you see the reality. You're not reading in a policy book, in a policy paper, in a research paper. You're actually going to a family house and see that they don't have water. They don't have any sanitation facilities. They only have a one division where everyone from the family, including chickens, have mm-hmm. to share the place. And see, in fact, and, and I remember going, for example, to Uganda and seeing um, a young mother. She was younger than me at that time. She had twins, um, didn't have any food. She didn't have any food. And uh, I remember entering her place and thinking, oh, the babies were just born. They are newborns. But no, they were, in fact, uh, four or five months. Mm-hmm. So, But they were so tiny. They didn't develop. Um, and I thought they were newborns, but they were not newborns. They had a few months. And uh, by working with this small organizations, I was able to actually see what was needed. And as you were saying, UNICEF gives you the opportunity to not only know the reality, because at UNICEF, you know the reality, you know the stories, you know the stories of these children, also able to not only impact their lives, but the lives of a majority by working with government and local authorities. In fact, that's what we do in every day. In over 190 countries, we work to save children's lives, to defend their rights, and to help them fulfill their full potential from early childhood uh, since they are born through their adolescence, 
as I was saying, we, we never give up. In fact, that's what we do. So we work on yeah, what, what are the guys? childhood education, yeah. quality yeah. education, mm-hmm. health, nutrition, uh, vaccination, justice, in all areas that impact children's lives in all countries. That's huge. And for those who are outside of this world, it seems so abstract. You know, all these stories that we see on TV and we know that poverty exists. We know how many people can benefit from these policies. But it's sometimes we feel like it's so far, especially in development countries. It, we feel it like it's so far and we can't do anything. And UNICEF can be a bridge between you know people that want to do something but they don't know how to do it and then you work in these several core areas where actually have an impact in the children in their families in their future and so it's very important to have you know a well-structured organization that goes to the exactly the root cause of some of these impacts you know all of this that can happen when the bases are not well structured for an healthy and uh, an healthy life And so that's very important, you know, for people also to know what's the mission. So then we can see and know exactly what is done, you know, in this kind of organizations. So you talked before, and I think I mentioned that you promote children's voices. And that's also so important. I think it's the first time I have here on my podcast, the focus on children's voice. And this is so crucial. This is so important. And I'm curious to know exactly what kind of initiatives UNICEF does to promote children's voices. At UNICEF Portugal, we have this priority of um, telling the stories of children, showing the need to respect their rights through the stories that we know, through the experiences that we know and the research that we have, but also through their own needs, priorities, and and voices. So we want to be the voice of children, but also for children to have a voice and to directly be be heard. And uh, throughout the years, and especially uh, during the, the pandemic, we were very keen to know what children feel, think, uh, and defend for their lives. We know how the recent measures had an impact on, on children. They were not able to go to school. They were not able to be with their friends. Mm -hmm. And we all knew this was having an impact on children. So that's, and I can give you an example, that that is when we decided to, for example, do a press conference for children. As far as we know, the first ever press conference that was um, organized for children, Mm -hmm. because we knew that uh, there were a lot of press conferences at that time. And so I'm talking about, Last year, around this time, February, when uh, a lot of measures were being presented by the Prime Minister, and the Prime Minister was speaking to all of us, but not to specific people, mm-hmm. not exactly responding, for example, to children's questions. So mm-hmm. we decided to organize a press conference, but for children. So we invited some professionals from the health sectors, from uh, mental health specialists and the Secretary of State for Education and some children. Children could, and we had around um, 600 children uh, sending questions 
at that press conference, those questions were asked political leaders, but also specialists uh, were able to respond to children's questions. And mm -hmm. in fact, children were really worried about a few things uh, and not only worried, they had a lot of questions that no one was responding to them at that mm -hmm. time was, will children be vaccinated? Is vaccination safe? And I remember one that was really shocking. Schools were closed. And then when they were open, there was an increase in, in the number of cases. And children asked these adults whether they were the cause of the, of the cases. Because what was on the media was that because of schools, mm -hmm. now the number of cases are increasing. And children really felt they were part of the problem. I mean, we have a responsibility to say to that children, they are definitely not the cause of what was happening to the world through a global pandemic. And they really had the right to ask those questions, but also to be answered. We believe it was a really important opportunity to have the time to listen and to respond to their views, concerns, ideas. Actually, uh, if you are a political leader, to then take the and decide on, on measures that can respect their views and concerns. If you are, I don't know, a specialist on mental health, then to think about the services that are needed to respond to their mm -hmm. emotional concerns and support. That was very clear for us. It was needed. And the best way to know the answer is to, to make the question and to let them share their Uh, concerns and you know that adults never think about that as you say that that example is really uh, touching you know, and shocking because we we never believe that someone who has less understanding I think we didn't understand a lot of what's going on and especially right. I imagine our children you know were feeling with that message that the schools were you know spreading the, the disease that's very very interesting and it's a, yeah. it was a good example of um How can we hear you know, their voices as well? Definitely. And we have that uh, preconception that we were all children, uh, so we know what children feel. And that is absolutely a mistake. I mean, that is true that we were, that we were at some point children, in <laughs> fact, but it doesn't mean that today we are, right? So it means that today I don't know what children are facing and I don't know what children are seeing and feeling. So I have to ask them. Mm -hmm. And they are the ones that are living their lives. And, and this is something that children tell us. We know best about our lives. It doesn't mean, obviously, that they know what can happen to their lives. Obviously, we're not saying that children can now decide on their present and their future, mm -hmm. but they have to be part of the solution. And uh, one thing that we've been trying to push forward and to actually ensure that children... They have a voice, but that voice is not heard. So we have to make sure that that voice is actually is actually heard and that we plan what we are doing for them based also on what they think, feel, and, uh, for example, uh, propose. Of course, and representing their voice uh, exactly as the voice they have and not what we adults, even working for uh, children policies, think they need because we assume something. And that's that's really interesting because we talk so much nowadays uh, in inclusion policies and we never thought about how 
we don't include all uh, ages you know all the all everyone that is affected by all the, the policies that are made you know for our governments so this is really a good example and i hope that this inspires other people to do the same <laughs> regarding other subjects because this is really so important and you mentioned that covid has a had an impact in in children and we i think as a, a society we are concerned about and we don't know yet the impact this will have in future generations so because the pandemic happened in a very crucial time in many people's lives you know in teenagers in children in you know in as adults is there any studies being made to know to understand how this you know pandemic has an effect on children and in their lives so we're still living and still in the pandemic so the studies are now looking about the impact of the recent measures on children's development and there have been quite um, quite a number of, of studies of recent studies they obviously don't reflect the full picture the full impact as we're still living the pandemic but they are some uh, uh, some worry statistics and information that that is coming from the studies especially on on education what mm -hmm. we know from recent studies Uh, throughout the world, but in Portugal is is happening um, as well, is that children, because of the number of uh, weeks and years in some cases, like Uganda, was the schools were closed for two years. They were just only recently open. That children lost basic skills. This is absolutely shocking. Um, and uh, in some cases, we know, for example, more than 600 million students remain affected by school closures. If not uh, full, some closures are partially closed. This is worrying. So, so this, uh, this loss of skills will continue if nothing happens, if nothing substantial happens, because students miss schools or are still missing schools. Um, let, let me just emphasize the importance of that. I'm a speech and language therapist, has you know, my initial uh, training, and I know how important is the phases of development of language acquisition, speech acquisition. And so if you miss like a window of six months, for example, is a lot, or even one year. So imagine two years in a crucial window of development where you should develop some skills and your brain needs to, to get the right stimulus. And so... I, this is something that concerns me, you know, because the windows are really short. At that time, of course, we can catch up and we can uh, we can still develop a lot of things because we have lots of neuroplasticity. But indeed, it's um, it's concerning, you know, that people, you know, they, they miss this this part of their development. Um, and also, for example, I have nephews who are teenagers now. And I saw the impact of not being able to, you know, to play basketball, to go to, with their friends, to stay at home, to be more isolated, you know, to keep just on the cell phone or playing video games without going, you know, outside. And uh, yeah, so we'll see the impact of the measures. Of course, we have to protect, you know, some people, but sometimes the collateral effect is is a bit um, overwhelming. Definitely. I mean, we, we understand the need and we understood the need at that time uh, of taking some measures of, for example, uh, closing schools. But that time and, and today we are defending the need to open schools because of what uh, 
we are getting from the studies that are coming up that uh, children are missing those skills. And you were saying that we can catch up. We can, but with uh, with intensive support to recover lost education. Without this that, is where is can't. where the government should act. And, and right that's, away, that's when government mm -hmm. needs to enter. Yeah, definitely. Mm -hmm. We mm -hmm. can't recover education. We can't recover those losses without the right supports and in some cases with intensive support and as you were saying uh, the children that um, were most uh, affected by this were the younger children and the poorest and the learning poverty so the inability to read and understand a simple text by the age of 10 is actually increasing We have at the moment, but we know these measures and the pandemic will increase this number. We know that 50% of children in low and middle income countries cannot read by the age of 10. And this can grow to 70% because of, uh, of the pandemic. So the time to recover education, but actually the time to protect children and to ensure that we don't have a lost generation is now, is definitely now. Uh, not tomorrow. Otherwise, these children that are living, especially in those low and middle income countries, mm -hmm. will profoundly be affected throughout their lives. Because we know that these children and um, the World Bank estimates that these children will then have um, jobs uh, that are less qualified, so they will earn more. So we start again, or we reinforce the endless cycle of poverty and these children will not live or will mm -hmm. not uh, have a better life if uh, this fundamental and foundational skills are not there and are not there for, the, mm -hmm. for, for them. And what are the guidelines for the future in terms of the UNICEF you know, strategy and policies? What are the main areas where you will focus Uh, you as an organization will focus the attention this year exactly and the next years? Globally, we have some priorities and one is linked to education. It couldn't be not linked to education. And one is to work uh, to ensure that every child learns and acquires skills for the future. And this means ensuring that the youngest and the poorest children have this opportunity, but obviously all of them can learn and acquire the skills they need for their future. We will also work throughout the, the countries to ensure that every child is protected from violence, exploitation, abuse, neglect, and any other harmful practices. And also to ensure the access to inclusive social protection and ensure, as you were saying, that every child can live free from poverty. And this is very clear for us. In Portugal, at the moment, this is one priority for us, is to ensure that there is um, a national strategy to combat child poverty. So to mm -hmm. ensure that um, no children can actually live in poverty because of the impact that it has in their present, in, for example, that school achievement, but also in the future. Other priorities for UNICEF, but let me mention just uh, another one, which is around mental health. And that is something that is coming from studies, but again, is coming from children. We, we did a consultation back in September last year, and we asked children in Portugal, and we had the responses from around 10,000 children, and mm -hmm. we asked them, what are you most worried about? 
And the majority of these 10,000 children said the most pressing issue for them is mental health. And this we are seeing globally that children were affected by the Mm -hmm. pandemic. And as you were saying, adolescents, they were not uh, able to have their social life and be with peers and and be with with people, but also the the youngest children were not able to have that. So there's there's a need to respond and to ensure that uh, children can grow um, safe and protected and their health, and in particular their mental health, is actually protected and these needs are taken taken in into consideration. Yeah, that's uh, key areas you know, to keep on working on and to assure that there's measures for that. As you said, the, here making the right questions is always the best practice, you know, because then you have what are exactly their needs and to tailor the policies for that. Now, of course, we can assume that mental health is an issue for everyone, but it's different from a children's perspective. So what is exactly that means for them? And that's really interesting and, and important as well. And I know recently that, uh, so we have probably this episode we are recording in February, but probably will be uh, launched in beginning of March, according to my my provision. Uh, so I know that UNICEF have uh, also an initiative to hear the voices of children's previous uh, elections in Portugal. So you made also a campaign, which is My Voice Matters <laughs> by a, a free translation. Uh, so how was that campaign of hearing from children what they want for, you know, from t- politicians? Is in fact the consultation that was just mentioned. Ah, um, that one. Where mm-hmm. 10,000 children responded. And we did for uh, local elections in September, but we are still using the findings and we use it just for general elections that we had in January. In fact, that consultation showed some, some worried uh, statistics. 80% of children said their voice is not taken in consideration. 80 percent. 80 percent. Eight out of ten. 80% of um, of those 10,000 children say their voice are not um, n- not only heard, they are not taken into consideration when mm-hmm. decisions are made about their lives. Because it's different to be heard than to be valued. Exactly. And respected. That's, it's different, yeah. There's a huge difference. And we ask both questions. We ask... Do you have opportunities to participate or is your voice uh, kind of asked? And mm-hmm. 75% said never or almost never. But then we asked the second question, which was, if it was asked your opinion, was that taken into consideration? And then that's when 80% of children said no. So mm-hmm. even when they ask me, they do nothing about it. And that's really, really worried. We are really worried about this. But also, I mean, we're using this to actually make change. Now that we know that, that children, first, they want to be heard. And second, they want to also be their opinions to be considered. And that is not to be considered is not to do whatever children say, but to actually consider and listen. And if we can't do, then we explain to them why we can't do or if we have if we have to take another direction then we explain to children why we're taking a different direction 
So we have to do something about this. And that consultation showed this, but also showed, as I was mentioning, what are the topics that you want to be consulted on and what are your main priorities? Mm-hmm. What, what do you think is the, is the priority of your generation? And the first one was mental health. But the mm-hmm. second one uh, was discrimination. And the third area of concern is internet and social media. Mm-hmm. And we have a child, a child and Youth Advisory Board at UNICEF Portugal. And in fact, our advisory board said to us that those three areas are linked. Children are worried about their mental health and discrimination that is happening online. Because mm. we know the majority of their social life and actually life in the past two years almost was a lot happened online. And children are not protected online. Mm-hmm. So this is when we have to respond and we have to actually do something about what children are telling us and children are making it very clear for us um, that is the online world is not necessarily as safe as we thought, is not necessarily promoting their development as we probably thought. Yeah, and this is a, so a general subject and so important for all of us that I have also an episode here on podcast just talking about digital security and um, cybersecurity and how can we protect our mental health in terms of the digital environment. So imagine us as adults, you know, we think that we have filters and we think we can choose and we think that we can, you know, understand the message that sometimes came to us. So imagine children, how unprotected they are. And this is also a message. And I want to leave this message for all of us and for us, the people that have children, the you know, children in our lives somehow as parents or other members of the family. So how often do we ask questions to our children? How often we hear exactly and value their opinion and how also we are taking care of the measures necessary to protect them from this discrimination from all the you know this digital environment that was their world during the past two years mostly so yeah we have a lot to think about and to digest about this this topic and um, francisco where can people find well UNICEF is very easy to Google. <laughs> we can Google it, of course. But what can we do to help more children, in your opinion? So what can we do in our daily life, but also regarding UNICEF? Well, to know more about UNICEF, as you were saying, <laughs> you can go to UNICEF Org or UNICEF PT for, for Portugal. In our website in Portugal, you'll be able to find more information about the um, That campaign uh, that I have a say in the matter, I have a voice in the matter, something like that, like a, a rough tra- <laughs> translation of the of the name of the campaign in English. Uh, but there you can find all the information. Also on LinkedIn, uh, you can find information. What we can do to protect children's rights? There's a lot we can do every day. And I was just thinking, and to give just an example, we were talking about mental health. There is now a campaign on UNICEF social media about mental health, which is called On My Mind, is in fact to ask children what is on their minds and then actually and carefully listen to their responses and to something about it. 
have some time to listen to them. And if you need it, then find the support, professional support, if it is the case. Sometimes it may not be the case that there's a need for professional support. And it may only, I mean, you can't start. And it's really important to ask what is on, on their mind. We can mm-hmm. start with that on, on our daily lives. And if we think about what we as a society, but also as government or as political leaders we can do for children, is to actually have that on our mind, is that participation is much more than having a voice, is actually ensuring that children are informed, engaged, that they have an influence in decisions and matters that affect their life. And that is not only in the community, in social media, in governance processes, but also at home, in mm-hmm. school. So whether we are parents or teachers, educators, psychologists, uh, whatever that is, our profession, we can, in, our, in all these different settings, ensure that children are heard and uh, we, we are listening to what is on their mind listening <laughs> so important to pay attention and uh, this is really key and so francisca thank you so so much for sharing your message to share more about what unicef is doing right now about this topic and because their voice matters and your voice matters as well so thank you so much for being part of this podcast thank you for inviting us to be here thank you for listening to this episode Did you like it? If so, feel free to spread the word. To discover more about vocal coaching, you can visit my website, voicepowerleadership.com, or contact me through LinkedIn, Facebook, or Instagram. And always remember, your voice matters.